Welcome to Ignite Purpose with Christina Foxwell, and this is our Human Stories series. And as you all know, I've been collecting people from all across the world to share their stories, and they're all so different. And today we're going to talk to one of the founding members of Feel the Magic. Um, and I'm not going to steal his thunder, but uh, I want to welcome James. James, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's my absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. Now, James, um, I've invited you on the show because your organization does something very special and you have got a story that brought you here. I do. Now, I don't know where you'd like to start with your story or with your organization, but where would you like to start if you were to share to inspire hope and courage to others? Good question. I feel like we probably need to touch on what Feel the Magic does and then I can share the story as to why Feel the Magic was created. What do you think? I love it. All right, because I was just talking to you about Feel the Magic. Okay, so we're going to obviously put links for Feel the Magic on our um, episode when we release it. But James, take us through what does Feel the Magic do? In a nutshell, Feel the Magic supports the healing process of grieving young people across the country. So children and young people between the ages of seven to 17 who have lost either a parent, sibling or legal guardian. So we run uh, a number of programs to support them to learn to live with their grief in healthy and positive ways. Uh, as a Western society, we don't really understand the grieving process. We put a time frame on grief. Uh, and therefore, there's a lot of a lot of young people that get uh, that get lost in the in the in the time. And so it's our job to prevent that and to make these people, or make these children, I should say, um, happy within themselves and happy with their new normal. Okay, so it's that whole embracing of what's happened and being able to release some of the angst around it. Yeah, pretty much, you know. I'm probably going ahead of myself here, but, you know, when you hear of a child that's lost a parent, let's say we you know the, the normal process is we we feel sorry for them we pity them mm. and in actual fact it's the last thing they need you know they need empathy they need encouragement they need support they still need boundaries and you know unresolved grief and trauma in children can lead to serious serious prob- problems uh, down the road so it's our job to to prevent uh, that and provide tools age-appropriate coping strategies for these children to live in and um, and thrive in, within the new normal. You know, it's you know, gone are the days where we try to suppress things. You know, suppressing things we know now with, with such a with the the focus on mental health at the moment. Mental health's huge. It's rampant across not only Australia but the world. world yeah. You know, you know and, the, and the problem with mental health is we're not getting to the source of their problems. Why have they got mental health? And in most cases, not all. It stems back to some kind of trauma or some sort of event in their lives that has allowed them to go down that path so we truly believe we're preventing the statistics of tomorrow by giving them age appropriate tools getting to the source of the issue and addressing those needs very early on rather than letting fester letting them fester away and uh smother that child or young person for the rest of their life Mm. that you've used that word smother is actually what it feels like isn't it absolutely back in grief and you think You've got to um, walk. You've got to. You've got to pretend you're not having this terrible pain. Yeah, very true. And it, 
And in most cases, if you put yourself in, into the shoes of a young person and, you know, you actually, I can talk about my wife. This is a, this is a real life example. So for Christy growing up, and again, I'm probably jumping the gun. So I apologize when she lost her brother, when they were kids in primary school, kids at school didn't understand. And Christy was getting treated differently by the teachers knowing full well that she was going through um, grief. So the students would pick on her and say, oh, you're the teacher's pet now. You know, there's, there's an innocence to that, but there's a, you know, there's a, there's a harshness to it as well. And so Christy didn't have to feel that or deal with that. She would not talk about it. And when she did talk about it, she was more concerned about the other person's reaction rather than her own reaction or how she was feeling inside. And that's, and that's, that's a common, that's a common case across, across the board. You know, kids don't know, they care more about others and what other people think than what is actually going on internally for them. Do you think it's because we as humans and adults don't know what to do with it? Yeah, 100%. We're not taught. We're not taught. You know, emotional literacy is, again, due to the, due to the mental health pandemic, uh, pandemic, the mental health um, scale, we, we are now becoming more aware of how much uh, emotional literacy, literacy in the workplace and schools and families helps. You yeah. know, we need to be able to you know, decipher what we're going through and, and work out what we're going through rather than suppressing. You know, for far too long, people have been suppressing their issues and here, here's where we are today. So, yeah, absolutely, completely agree. You know, I've written that little story, which I've got to send you a book to the kids. I haven't sent you a book, have I, James? No. So I've written that book on the pufferfish, which one of your um, lead psychologists reviewed for me to make sure I wasn't sending everyone down. <laughs> brain um robbie and it's about a puffer fish that has all these negative thoughts in his head and so he just pops all the time and he takes you through the story where he pops in the seaweed and then he's so upset so he floats home and then he, another puffer fish swims into him and they start arguing and it's all because of his mental positioning and how his parents don't shame him for feeling that way but yeah. how they in empathy and yep. remind him how much they love him and help him understand and own his his feelings beautiful love it and it's you know, and it's it's age-appropriate language where you know there's a there's a broad uh there's a broad age range that would understand that right a teenager could read that book even though it might be childish they'll read that and understand i give it to executives when they start yeah. on a program and a lot of them go why are you giving me a kid's book i'm giving us yeah. an you a human book because this human book is the analogy of what we all do yep absolutely um i used another analogy maybe it, it might be interesting you know trolls the movie mm -hmm. trolls yep you've seen it have you watched it with your son no, not yet. he's wanting to though so poppy is the happy troll and she just lets her emotion out and she's joyful and yep. then branch I call him Branch, but I'm a South African Branch. Uh, Branch lives underground. And he's one of these trolls that have kind of suppressed it. And I almost feel that that's what we do. We suppress our ability to deal with grief. So then we kind of live underground and we miss the opportunity to live. Yeah. 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 Can yeah. I capture that okay? Yeah, absolutely. But I will add an element to that. There, there, there is a time... One of my most favourite quotes around grief is, grief is the ultimate price you pay for love. Oh, beautiful. Uh, that's, it's, 
I'd love to say I created that, but I didn't. It's, um, I don't even know who came up with that, but I've read that many times and it really resonates because we expect to... Now, again, I'll get into my story, but there's a part of this that, that I can that I relate, but you know, we expect to lose someone that we adore, like a parent, sibling, husband, wife, brother, sister, whatever it may be, yet we don't give ourselves enough time or sorry, we put a time frame on grieving their loss. That yeah. loss is felt forever, yeah. right? You don't just, you don't just, you know, stop loving someone because they're no longer here. So why don't, why aren't we taught that, you know, they're not here anymore? Why are we suppressing it? Why are we avoiding it? Why do we not want to face that pain? You know, there is there is a time frame where it is, it is, you know, you're drowning, you're you're lost, you don't know whether you'd be the same, you're sick, you're not eating, you're, you're not sleeping, and there's all this sort of stuff that goes on. However, we're, we want to avoid that. And the longer you avoid that, the more impactful that becomes and the more delayed your, your um, results will be from dealing with grief. And, it's, and I'm not saying that uh, lightly either because it's bloody hard. Dealing with the loss of someone is bloody hard. And... I know from my own personal experience, I did the exact opposite. I, I avoided as much as I could, which is why it led me down a, a path of self-destruction and uh, self-pity and all that sort of crap that comes with it. So why aren't we taught to embrace it head on when we're ready and give yourself time, be good to yourself, you know, surround yourself with the right people um, to go from that to, oh, I can go back to work now, but I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to upset other people or I don't want to be a burden on other people. Well, why do we think like that? Because that's what society has allowed us to think, where it's that should be flipped on its head. And it's almost like going to war with yourself and war with your emotions. You need to, if we had the mindset, I know I'll be okay, but I know I'll come out the other side, then that, that disastrous wave of dealing with loss doesn't have to be so, sorry, it's probably the wrong words, it's going to be unbearable. It's going to be unbearable, but you need to go through it to come out the other side. So to experience the good, you need to experience the bad. And again, ultimately, it's the price you pay for love. You know, how you've positioned it is exactly how I think about it. Because I often work with people. It's so weird. It's uh, I work with, and this sounds flat compared to losing a loved one, but some leaders that I work with are so have attached themselves to something and then it goes away and they feel such extreme loss that they're going to a grieving process, James, to get them out of it is um, quite traumatic, actually. Yeah. Grief, grief can affect us in many ways, not just loss of a loved one. You know, it could be you retire from a 40-plus something career. There's a grieving process. You move house. You miss your neighbours. There's a grieving process. Your, uh, your job position position changes there's a grieving process you've got to move your kids to a different school go from high school oh, sorry primary school to high school there's a grieving process yes. and as humans we're not used to or don't embrace change and again i say these things not as a you know i definitely at times don't walk my walk my talk so i'm not i'm not sitting here on my high horse uh saying that this is what i do because i definitely don't um, but just from my own experiences i can see how grief has is intertwined in many of our lives but still, we're not taught how to deal with it. And that is what Feel the Magic does, am I right? Yes, absolutely. And it's not just for children, is it? It's, it's an organisation built around children and their families. 
So our main our main target audience, I guess, I guess if you're looking at it from a marketing perspective, our target audience is the parents because we want that we want them to send their children to our programs. And whilst we've got their children, we see the need that parents, from a male's perspective, if you feel like you can support your children and sort their issues out, everything's going to be okay. But who's looking after your own issues? Yeah. So that's that's our approach with parents. We don't fly the flag and say, here was, we're here to support parents. We're going to support your children. At the same time, we're going to teach you what we're teaching them. And together, holistically, you support one another as a family. So it's about so it's about bringing the family together through a difficult time and allowing them to identify and understand having the language that they can support one another going forward into their in their new normal. Okay. So I'm going to put the feel the magic links on your on this uh, um, uh, okay. social. Yeah, because I really would like people to support you. I've got a friend who's recently lost her partner and her two little children. Yeah. And you know what? The word you used earlier, unbearable, I can sense it. And I lost my dad in May and I'm a grown woman. Mm. Um, and it was, it, I was, I was glad because he was so ill that it was a relief for him, but yeah. it, space in my life that he always I used to be able to phone him James and just ask him to pray with me because he was a minister yeah. uh, when I was feeling so overwhelmed and that was what he did and when I used to say goodbye I used to feel so peaceful but I've got to give you the gift right because I've now learned all this stuff I'm walking into it I'm not perfect either and I'm saying to my mother don't tell me you're going to be strong I just need you to feel it come on yeah. mommy um and I think that's maybe how we get through yeah Yep. So why did you and your beautiful wife start this organization? Yes. So uh, happy to share that. So it's a, it's a long story, but I'll, 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 I'll condense it as much as I can. So I'll start with my wife's because um, I touched on that earlier. So my wife lost her older brother, Corey, to leukemia when she was young. Uh, he was a fit and vibrant um, young boy. And then all of a sudden overnight become extremely lethargic. And they took him to the took him to the doctors or the hospital, and basically said he's pretty much on his deathbed. He had had leukemia. Wow. He, went, he went through all the um, treatments and, and all that stuff, beat it, and then it come back. And unfortunately, when my wife was, um, I think four or five, he passed away, and uh, that's that was the start of her grief journey. And you know, for Christy back then, and for many children back then, there, there was nothing. There was nothing out there. Uh, in actual fact, my in-laws are responsible for contributing. They did a fundraiser of some sort to contribute at the first Ronald McDonald House out at, out at Westmead there, uh, which is amazing. You know, and, that, and that's, that's the true gift of people that go through trauma. They, 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 can, make it, they can make an impact in the world, you know, whether it's through fundraising or connecting the right people. Uh, for them to, to do that after the losing... You know, someone so precious, it's, it's a true testament to them. So that's my wife's story. And then, you know, she had an older sister and throughout their life, they, I guess they handled it very differently. My wife, my wife's sister six years older than her. So she kind of protected Christy and took that, took that mother role on whilst her parents were, were grieving. Um, her parents grieved very differently. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they had their own ways of dealing with things, whereas 
Christy's mum went the whole, um, I'm going to feel this till I come out the other side. And, and as a, I can only imagine as a mum, that just must be gut-wrenching and, and heartbreaking. And I touch wood, I'm hopefully never in that, in that situation. So that's, that's Christy's story. And for me, I experienced grief later in life. So I um, lost my dad to a two-year cancer battle when I was 25, which was in 2005. Uh, up until then, I was living for the weekends, had no drive or purpose, as most 25-year-olds do. Yes. And I remember, I remember at um, Dad's funeral, it, it was almost, and I was, I'm an only child as well. So at Dad's funeral, I, 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 I guess I grew up <laughs> overnight. I literally grew up, and I remember sitting there consoling my mother at the funeral and thinking, my parents worked hard all their life, blue-collar workers worked hard all their life. 2001 retired, sold the house in Sydney, moved up to Queensland to live out their dream. And then by 2005, he was dead. And I remember just thinking that is so unfair. You know, again, we're all taught to work hard on our life, retire at the end of it and live what we can um, to the best of our ability. Well, for him, it was what, four years and he was gone. And then in that time, there was a two-year cancer battle. So it wasn't much of a life. So I remember just feeling ripped off for him. I felt ripped off for my mother. But in that moment, I thought, right, I've got to, I've got to, I guess, man up. I've got to grow up. And in that moment, I, I did. And I wrote a goal at my, my dad's wake, and that was to buy or build a dream home that would house my girlfriend at the time, who's now, who's now my wife, Christy, and move my mother in with us. So that, I guess, dad's passing for me uh, created purpose in my life, which was the first time I've ever really experienced purpose. You know, I had, I didn't have it before. I had a great upbringing. Had a great. Um, you know, I would say I had a great job because I didn't like it, but you know, I was I had a had a had a job. I was in the sign yeah. business. Yeah, I was in the sign sign writing business, and um, yeah, that for that uh, I guess having that goal now kind of set me on a path of right. I'm not going to get that earning the money I'm earning right now. So that that kind of took me to the next step of starting my own business, mm. and then that's next step of starting my own business. Started goal setting and investing in property and all this sort of stuff. And, but before I knew it, within two years, I was, you know, I was 27 and I was just absurdly busy, just sometimes working seven days a week, sorry, all the time, pretty much working seven days a week and sometimes working 24-hour stints. And I was so driven to achieve that dream home that would, you know, I guess ultimately it was to feed my own ego, big house, big everything. But I, I really, really wanted to take her and mum and she didn't need my care, but that's what I wanted. And I wanted to I guess my own ego purposes know that I've I've put a roof over mum's head, um, and I wanted her to be proud. I wanted her to be proud of me, and I wanted to you know live a life of financial security and luxury, and and live happily ever after. So you know we had that we had that plan, but plan. But along the way, being so busy, I guess I got caught up in the, in the material world, and I guess to justify my existence, I would spend money on just meaningless crap. Um, so I lost, I lost sight of what was truly important, I would say, in hindsight. Hindsight's probably the most valuable lesson. Biggest I lost sight of why I was truly doing it. And even though I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing anything wrong, but I, I feel like, you know, that, that those years with mum, I didn't spend much time with her, nor did I, nor did I with my wife. It was just full of work. Um, and I don't regret that. I think, I think young guys need to do that, especially if you're living in Sydney, you kind of need to. If you've got goals and ambition, you need to do that. But I, but I wish I had a bit more balance in, in my life then and a bit more clarity at why I was doing it. Um, so, again, trying to keep this short, I we ended up buying our home in December 2011. 
but we couldn't move into it because it was a, a display home. And so we had six months before the settlement period. So in that six months, we're moving from a three bedroom home to a six bedroom home. And I thought, oh, I'll have to fill, the, I have to fill it. So I went out again, material things and all that, all that garbage. Um, so uh, six months had come and it was July 29th, 2011. And not only that, it was my 31st birthday. And within, within um, hours of picking up the keys and with friends and family locked in to help out removalist books, um, my mum dropped dead from a brain aneurysm. Oh, James, I'm sorry. Yeah, and, and, and f thank you. Uh, for me, it was, I felt like I was in a part of a movie that was just so, uh, just, it was just a, uh, I, don't, I, I struggle to put it into words. It was just one of those things where I think for 24 hours, I was completely numb. I hadn't cried for a long time, but I remember I, I was, you know, wailing at the hospital. But the way, the way it happened was, and again, in hindsight, why I'm so passionate about the grief space is, you know, mum, mum had was having the amnesia, and I didn't even know. You know, I thought, oh, she's got a, she's got a, um, she's having a migraine. But you know, I remember she jumped out of bed. It was my birthday. She's really excited, and then it was literally, I turned my back, grabbed my lunch because I had to go do a quick job. She started walking towards me like I wasn't there, and she just had this look on her face, and and she said to me, "Is there toilet paper in the shower?" I was, I was like, "What? What are you talking about?" And she just just kept walking through me. I'm like, Mom, what are you doing? Like, stop. And she wasn't, she wasn't really, um, she wasn't really there, if you know what I mean. And I said to my wife, I've got to go. I think she's having a migraine. Can you just look after her? And it wasn't too far down the road. I got a phone call saying, you better come back. We've called the ambulance. Um, so when I got back, put in the driveway, mum was getting wheeled into the, the ambulance. And I remember looking on the, again, in hindsight, I use that word hindsight a lot because I think with grief, you, when you're in the moment, you don't know what the hell's going on. And it's not until later you start having those little flashbacks of the moments of, of time of what happened. And I remember looking, I remember saying to the paramedics, I said, what happened? Is she okay? And they, and they looked at me and they looked at each other and, and they go, oh, we think she's had a mild stroke, mate. And, you know, again, you know, in hindsight, I, I feel like, yeah, she was already, she was already dead. And, um, but I remember at the time thinking, oh, God, life is going to be difficult now, you know. But mum's tough, mum's mum's fit and healthy, she'll, she'll be right. So we jumped in the car, drove down to the hospital to meet him there. And in the car, my wife was already tearing up. She's going, do you realise what's going on? I was like, well, yeah, everything's everything's okay. I was so oblivious to, to what was happening. Uh, I was just in a bit of bit of shock, as I said. And then when we got to the hospital, they were, they were waiting for me at the front. And they said, are you Mr. Thomas? I said, yep. They said, oh, come, come with us. And they ushered us into a, a room that was, it felt like a shoebox. It was dark. It was, it was dingy. It was small. And they made us wait there for a while. And then this, this random guy walked in, a doctor walked in and he said, oh, are you Mr. Thomas? And I said, yep. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, mate. She didn't make it. And he literally turned around and walked out. And, and that's when I, you know, I, I, you know, just put my head in my hands and bawled my eyes out. I can't remember the last time I cried like that. I think at dad's funeral, I cried once and I was in action mode from there. So it was in that moment, you know, as a 31 year old, a freshly 31 year old, I felt like an orphan child being an only child. And it's, you know, there's, there is papers out there now about you know what happens when you do lose both parents, something shifts mentally and, and chemically in your brain. And it was just, 
I felt like a vulnerable child that's been abandoned, abandoned. And that's, that was a, it was an experience of um, what the hell do I do now? Like, what, what, why is this happening right now? And just shock. And yeah, to say the least, it was a, it was a shit day. It was a very shit day. And, and even now, you know, it's, what is it? Nine years, nine years on and every birthday, I don't know how I'm going to wake up. I could be happy as Larry the day before and wake up the next day, just miserable or, or sad and birthdays, I've probably I've pro- probably hated more birthdays than I've enjoyed since my mum mum passed. So, you know, going back to why don't we learn how to grieve? You know, that that's a constant rem- grief doesn't go away. That's a constant reminder of what happened on my birthday in two thousand and eleven. Was that on your birthday? Yeah, on my birthday. Yeah, literally on my birthday. Yeah. So it was. Um, yeah, that's that's. I guess that's the that's the that's the tragic part of, of a long story. But for me, I didn't understand how to grieve. I, honestly, I remember, I remember thinking, I just want to get the funeral done so I can be okay again. And that's because that's what happened at dad's funeral. And up until my dad's funeral, I don't think I ever, I kind of remember going to one. I might've went to one of Christie's relatives at one stage, but I don't remember going to a funeral ever. So I thought, oh, dad's one, I was in action mode. I was okay. And I was, and I was okay. So I thought, uh, but mum's one, I, I literally got carried out of the hospital. It just affected me more so than I than I thought it should have. It just really, it really ripped me apart, and uh, just the guilt I felt. And it's it, actually this this is quite spooky. I remember the night before she passed. I remember she went to bed, and I gave her a hug. And as I was walking to my room, a voice in my head just said, "You need to do a hug her longer." I was like, oh wow, that's that's weird. And just I just jumped into bed. So I wish I listened to that voice back then, you know, just to get that you know, extra minute or so hug or 30 seconds. Um, you know, that that's I guess that's another thing I've learned about grief is listen to those signs because they come up all the time. Act on those signs. Um, and how did that bring you to start this business? It was one yes, yes. So uh, my grieving journey was very very tough. Um, again, because I didn't know how to grieve. Uh, There's a lot of self-sabotage, a lot of, uh, you know, developed hatred for everything in my life, hated my business, hated everything, um, which forced me, it forced Christy to put her foot down two years on because I was no better than I was from the beginning two years later. And she just said, look, I'm here to support you, but you need to start supporting yourself. So the first point of call to support myself was to sell my business because it was killing me, you know, I, Although I was going on, dealing with all this this huge issue in my life of losing both my parents now, I had this business that was just so busy and consumed me. But I hated that business and it, it was just a toxic, toxic time in my life. So sold the business. My wife, I wanted to fight her on this, fight her on that, but realised, yep, I had to, I've got to sell the business and sold the business. And from there, we, we went on a trip to America and visited uh, the most happiest place on earth, Disneyland. And that's that's where, in that two-year journey, it was two years since mum passed, I guess walking through the front gates of Disneyland, and I'm sure those, your listeners uh, who have been there would, would agree, it is, there is something special about that place. And, and I, didn't, I didn't even want to go, um, but I'm glad I did. Because it just reminded me of all the beautiful memories that I shared with my parents as a kid. 
you know, characters that I've forgotten all about, songs and movies that we all, everyone grew up on Disney. And there's a Disney, um, so, so if you think of all the Disney movies, yeah. there's a brief story in most of them because Walt Disney's got his own um, lost story. So he lost his mum. So he, he made all his money, bought his parents a house, and the, the chemicals they were cleaning the fireplace with, um, they put the fire on that night, went to bed, and the carbon monoxide um, almost killed, actually killed one of them, it almost killed the other. So all of his stories now have, have got a grief um, underlying story to them, which is, which is amazing. So I kind of feel like along this journey, it's, 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 it's been quite spooky, the things that have happened and the alignment with Disneyland. But with Disney being in Disney, I just thought, what if I could create a what if I could create an organisation that could send families who have lost someone like my wife and I have to Disneyland to experience this magic and hope and connection in the family, and that's all it was. And then, so I guess yeah, that's where the 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 story of Feel the Magic began. It was in the in the heart of Disneyland, which I'm really grateful for. I feel blessed to have received that gift there that day, and and I and I I really feel. Like that is something we, we created unconsciously, right? Because, you know, the whole path of selling the business and having no job, nothing, it just kind of puts you in the right place at the right time. It kind of unhooks you from all the other stuff you're always worried about and just puts you in a place of a creation space almost. Yeah. Purpose space. Yeah. Freedom. Oh, I man, I love that word, freedom. Yeah. <laughs> And that's how I felt. I, I felt for the. I felt like for the first time in a very, very long time, I was free. I just knew I was in the right place at the right time, and it's where I was meant to be. I love that, James. You and your foundation have touched many lives, haven't you? We have. Yeah. No. It's um. It's it's been an, a long and uh, enjoyable but tough eight years, eight and a half years. So it's um. Yeah, each, each year we continue to grow. You know, we've evolved from the Magic Journey experience, which is the Disney experience, to, you know, running one of the country's largest grief education support programs, which is Camp Magic, uh, based in Sydney, regional New South Wales, Victoria, and ACT. Uh, since uh, when they've got the Parent and Guardian Workshop, um, since COVID, we've launched an online program, the Healthy Grieving Program. We run a one-day camp called the Magic Quarterly. Uh, we've got a grief resource hub, which I've referred yourself to. And we've, we're currently working on a uh, suicide uh, online program. So bereavement after suicide program. So it's all, it's all evolving and it's, and it's, uh, it's great to see, great to watch. And we've been supported by some unbelievable you know, people and, and supporters and we've supported some amazing, inspiring families. James, if you had to give our listeners out there hope and courage around grief, what are three or four things you'd get them to think about? I would, I would get, I would get them to, I guess from a from a grief perspective. If you're a visual person like me, and you're trying to understand what it is you're going through, someone showed me a puzzle once, and in that puzzle was all the elements of your life, you know. And, and I can, I'll only use my 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 example. So, for us, it was you know the business, the new house, Christy, future children, the dog, whatever it may be, and they said if you take one key puzzle, one key piece out of that puzzle that has a ripple effect on every single element of your life. And so everything in that puzzle at the time, once you took mum out, 
it affected every single thing. It affected my business. It affected the children things. We thought, how are we going to afford to have children now? We haven't got a, we haven't got a babysitter. The house, I didn't want to be in the house anymore, the house that I worked so hard for. So to give them hope and encouragement, it's really, if that, if that analogy works for you, really sit down and work out why did you feeling the way you are? Because the puzzle analogy for me just really put it into perspective going, you know, I guess you can be harsh on you. Maybe it's just me, but you can be hard on yourself going, why can't I just get over this? I need to get over it. But if you really sit down and go, well, that one piece, losing that one person has a ripple effect on everything. So be kind to yourself. Oh, I love that. Um, another bit of encouragement is, is connect with others who completely understand what you're going through. And the other thing is don't put a time frame on grief. Yeah, because it is what it is and we all respond differently. Yeah, yeah. If someone was grieving and somebody else wanted to stand next to them, I don't know how else to phrase this. How would you recommend they do that? Because I know I come from South Africa where we do sympathy really well and we do empathy really badly. <laughs> um, and I think I know I've studied it now, so I understand that sympathy moves us away from people so we don't have to feel what they feel right. Um, and actually when I'm sympathetic, I try and tell them how to feel and to fix it, to just let it go away. How would you recommend, and I don't know if there is a recommendation, but people do want to be able to connect with somebody going through this. Yeah. What would you say to them? To be honest with you, what, you, what you've said is exactly what you need to do, just stand by them and you don't need to say anything. They, 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 they trust you enough and they feel comfortable enough and they know you're there to support, they will do all the talking. Most grievers will chew your ear off and just because they just need to get it out. So gone are the days of, you know, oh, she's in a better place or, you know, she was sick as, as, as you know, they're out of pain. now. You don't need to say that. That's it's, it's garbage. And, you know, if someone said to me she's in a better place now, well, no, she's not. She's missed out on this brand new house, this brand new life, this future grandkids. So don't tell me she's in a better place. So that's, that's not true. So you don't need to fix someone. It's just be there, stand by their side. Uh, we have a we call it a thing at one of our programs we call a side hug stand beside them and put your arm around their shoulder you don't have to go up and embrace them and hug it's just make them feel safe enough that they are supported during the most vulnerable and difficult time of their life and i love the definition of supporting because i think we all try and fix people so we can feel better <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, supporting is that very uncomfortable space and probably get ready to feel uncomfortable when you're standing next to someone because the, mo the hardest thing to do is to shut the hell up and just be there. Absolutely. It is. Silence is, um, silence is a good tester of where you're at as a, as a human being and how comfortable you are with, within yourself. And, you know, be, being vulnerable, allowing someone. If you, if you, the greatest gift of all is if someone feels safe enough to be vulnerable in front of you, then, you know, you've done your job. Yeah. You've absolutely done your job. You know, if, if the other person's thinking, oh, I don't, I don't want to be vulnerable in front of this person, then, you know, you're probably not doing a good enough job. You're probably trying to fix them. And they know that and they feel that. Uh, another 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 tip I would provide is um, always check in on them. Don't just go, oh, I've checked in the last month. It's, he's, he's doing okay now. The biggest misconception is, you know, people that are on the floor crying and they're struggling, that they are classed as, oh, they're doing it tough. Yeah, they're really doing it tough. And they are. 
but then we 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 put on a pedestal the people that are you know really soldiering on and dealing with it in the right way and oh they're just they're being strong well in actual fact the opposite is true the person on the floor is actually dealing with it the other person is just keeping busy and, and avoiding what 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 they what they've actually got going on it's interesting that hey because we were always taught to be strong when my dad passed my mom said i'm being strong i said please don't do that she goes what do you mean i said mom feel it cry throw yourself on the bed if you want to be the unicorn you were made to be but don't be anything that you expect anyone else like my dad was a minister they live in a church next to the church grounds and she's just refused to go to church (laughs) since my dad's passed because she said i'm not ready yeah and you know i said cool man she goes the minister keeps asking me when i'm coming back and i go it ain't time yet. I said, cool, mom, do yeah. what you need to do right now. Yeah. Yeah. And then James, she sent me a video of her trying to put her head, her, her leg behind her head. She's 74. <laughs> and she was screeching with laughter. Brilliant. And you know what? All of that is okay. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely is, you know. And, you know, it's, I think the greatest gift of all to any human being would be, if you have a superpower, it's not to care what anyone else thinks, whether it's grief, whether it's, you know, trying to achieve something. But if you could not care about what anyone else thinks, then you have... Then you're free. You're free. You have the best chance of succeeding at, a, at whatever it is you choose to do. It's our own inner dialogue and our own concern about others' thoughts and opinions that shouldn't really, they're not really any of our business, uh, prevents you from doing great things. James, you've got to send me your address so I can send your boys a copy of the book. Yeah, please. That'd be great. And I want to thank you for joining me today. No, thank you for having me. Is there a way in which our audience can donate to Feel the Magic? Absolutely. So if you go to feelthemagic.org.au, there's a big red button on the top right-hand corner and it says donate on the button. So, um, you know, any donations greatly appreciated as always. And 2020's brought us a lot of... You know, there's been silver linings in terms of program delivery and supporting families. Uh, most of our fundraising events have been wiped out. So financially, we, you know, we need we need to pick up the pieces because next year, I have no doubt, once the you know once the borders open again and, and things are back to normal, we are new normal. We are going to have we are going to be inundated with with families and um, and families in a worse way than they were pre isolation and COVID because they've had an outlet with us and that's that's been. Um, somewhat taken away so we are we are preparing ourselves for the busiest time of our lives next year Um, i love that i'm translating it into it's the most amazing um space you guys are going to stand in next year as you stand next to others and they go through their journey of healing yeah i'm going to ask everybody out there please go and access the website link i'm going to put it on here for you all please donate um support feel the magic i know james and christy i've known james for a year and a half maybe james oh yeah and it's be i've watched their journey and as a family as well as as people and uh I, I would refer the world to you to you guys, James. So out there, please click. James and Christy have such a desire to make a difference and their organisation does that. Thank you so much. My pleasure, James. Would you like to say goodbye to everybody? Yes, thank you everyone for tuning in and I hope you've gained some 
some kind of supported information around grief and uh, you are well equipped to support those in your own networks that, that may have lost someone or, or uh, are about to lose someone. And you know, remember that not to not to fix anyone, just be there as support. And I thank you all for tuning in. I thank you all for tuning in too. James and I are going to say goodbye and uh, I'm hoping to have James back on another season. So James, thank you so much again. And good luck with the move, because I know there's that in your little world. Yes, Yes, there is. Uh, And uh, send my love to Christy and the boys and everybody out there. Uh, Be peaceful, be accepting, and be together. Thank you. Okay, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for Ignite Purpose with Christina and Human Stories Season 3. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please look us up on our website, www.ignitepurpose.com.au. If you want to reach out to Christina, please have a look on LinkedIn under Christina Foxwell, Facebook, Christina Talyard Foxwell. Um, And if you'd like to send us an email, please do so on christina at ignitepurpose.com.au. Thank you so much for listening. Please press subscribe and we're looking forward to sharing our next episode of Hope and Courage in Human Stories with you.